0: Hey, Father Anthony. Hey, Father Harrison. How's it going? You know, terrible. Why's that? I was going to like do this whole bit where we just kind of begin our podcast by talking about what we normally talk about, something about the parish life, something that's really interesting to people, but I'm just very irritated because I am surrounded by lay people and they're uppity too.
1: And wait, wait, and not just lay people, canon lawyers.
0: Canon lawyers too. Wow. (laughs) So the amount of just disrespect I have been shown in the few minutes I've been hanging out with this guy, I am uh, offended, appalled. But uh, we said we're going to do this podcast, and I'm in D.C., so uh, welcome to—what are we going to
2: call this? Hey, everybody, welcome to—oh, wait, no, you go you go ahead. Yeah, welcome to— No, wel- <laughs> welcome— Hey, everybody. Well, no, it's fine, dude. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, I mean, excuse me. It's fine, Reverend. we got to get our stuff together. <laughs> welcome to Clerically Speaking and CNA— Editor's Desk, the Editor's podcast Desk. that brings you— moderately decent Catholic conversation each week.
3: The okayest clerical conversation. There you
2: go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, if you're listening on the feed and you're confused, don't be confused. Let's lay it out. So, basically, we're doing a combination uh, podcast with the guys from CNA. They have this wonderful podcast called uh, Editor's Desk. It's one of Father Harris and I's favorite podcasts, And uh, we're big fans of these guys. So the first half of our podcast, Extravaganza, is here on the Clerically Speaking feed that you all know and love. And the second half will be on the Editor's Desk feed. And we'll plug that at the end of this half so you know where to look for and subscribe to them because they're pretty entertaining. They are. We are. I mean, thank you. That's really kind. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I just, I have a small
0: worry. What's your worry, Father Harrison?
1: We've been having way too much laity lately.
0: We've been having way too many guests
1: too wow, minute, yes. we can it's go. Like,
0: we can go. People, people are not hearing our voices enough anymore. <laughs> it's true. It's that's what the people want. But speaking of voices that aren't ours, Ed, say hello to the people of Clerically Speaking.
3: Are we going to have the bumper music, the Clerically Speaking bumper music? Because if so, I'm so incredibly excited. To yeah, 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 yeah. So course, it'll course, be course. playing. Yeah, the bumper How does it go? I don't know. I don't no, remember. No, it's like an R and B. Yeah. Oh so, yeah. Oh yeah. It's like. Okay, that that right there has that. I feel like I've achieved some level of Catholic cultural credibility. So are we supposed, Do we say our names?
1: Yes, yes. You guys should actually introduce yourselves.
3: But
2: it's my podcast. Why would I introduce Wait, myself? This is a crossover. This is like, this is like you. Uh, if you're if you're an old millennial like me, then you remember mm-hmm. when um, Urkel, and Urkel went to the Full House house. I think he was. I think he turned out to be Kimmy Gibbler's husband or cousin rather, and uh, and it was a cro- a Full House Urkel. Someone give me Cross the bell. Over Ed, do you remember that? <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Her- I do remember Father that, Father Harrison, yes. you're an old millennial. Yeah, I am. So this is that. Right. So it is it is your show, but also it's kind of our show, right? That's true. It's That's true. It's our show because we are one body. One body Ooh. of Christ. And we do not stand alone. Thank you. <laughs> can only use seven seconds of that. Otherwise, we have to pay royalties.
0: Uh, so we're basically doing this because whether or not we're older millennials or younger millennials, we've, we make friends on the internet. And... Uh, I think, I think you'd say we were friends, right? I
2: consider us to be, I, 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 can, like in my journal, I have a list called best friends and uh-huh. it's just you. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Wow. Wait, wait, but wait, I, I've, I've stayed at your house, JD. Oh
2: yeah. Also you're on the list. Thank you. I mean, I said, I said mass at your house. You did say mass at my house, but that's why I, I hold you up as like, you're on the list called holy priests who have said mass in my house. it's a different list. Yeah. How long is that list? Do you have a lot of priests at your house? We we do. We do have a lot of priests at our house. We're very blessed in that way. And, uh, and, and Father Harrison is one of them. And I always, <laughs> I, uh, when we have, when we, when pre-celebrate Mass in our house, I set them up such that they have no choice but to celebrate Mass out of Perfect. And some guys get a little bit skeezy, but, uh, Father Harrison, you rolled with it.
1: I, I wanted to do that. That's the way I usually like to do it when I celebrate masses at people's houses.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Have mm-hmm. you even listened to our show? Yes, I have. <laughs> but what surprised Father Harrison is that right about the time that he started celebrating Mass in our house. Several other priests came out to celebrate Mass in the side chapels of our house. The side chapels <laughs> of our house. So, You know, we
0: kick it old school.
3: Uh, I want to say something nice about about Ed Condon over here. Can I do that, Ed? You could try. I, a lot of people have tried it for yeah. years and failed. I mean, even, I think we actually had a, we used to have a game on Editor's Test that we played sometimes. It's called Say Something Nice. Say Something
2: Nice was a great game.
3: Yeah, and I, I don't know. I think if you put me out there on that, I, I failed epically at this, so I'm, go for By it. By the way, the guy who's speaking
2: right now, his name is Ed Condon, DC editor of CNA, uh, I'm J.D. Flynn, editor of CNA, and uh, that's in case you, you didn't know, because I think Father Anthony was going to say our names, but then we got to talking.
3: You're yeah. going to have to get used to J.D. talking over the top of you, because <laughs> yeah, this yeah. happens a lot. It's wow. already really
0: irritating, but uh, we'll keep going. No, Whoa. you're great, you're great, you're great, you so, so, um, My just, mom
2: agrees. She thinks I talk over Ed too much.
0: So uh, last Sunday, uh, I had a free Sunday evening, because now we've moved our youth group from the evening to the afternoon, which is great, because my day off is Monday. It turns out that the great Ed Condon was kind of in my area, only an hour away. He's like, hey, how about you come up to my place? And I did. And the hospitality was wonderful. And I'm glad you enjoyed it. And you
3: slaughtered an entire cow for our meat. I was gonna say,
0: how much meat did you eat?
3: I I I may have overbought. I got fifteen <laughs> pounds Ed, of Ed, strip Ed, steak.
1: Ed, 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 Ed,
3: Ed. Yeah, Harrison Go.
1: <laughs> the the there is no such thing as overbuying meat.
3: Well, I would agree with you, um, but yeah, I got a I got a fifteen pound strip loin and butchered it into you know roughly three inch thick steaks. And amazing, I, I thought it worked really well. Uh, you know, I don't know if it was the company, but Father Anthony seemed to lose his appetite, which is so a shame. So here's the thing: I want to share this because the
0: only way lay people know how to show their priests love is yeah. to feed them. Right? There's no other way. It has not entered the mind of the church for thousands of years how to show. <laughs> <laughs> Love for your priest, other than to feed them copious amounts of food. I'll also give them booze. Oh, all yeah,
2: right, foods. exactly. So, and friendship. You Remember that list that I put you on?
0: Right, yeah, the friendship list. So yeah. they write your name in their diaries, which is totally normal and fine. It's and totally, they give you yeah. food and they give you drink, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Anybody who knows me knows that I have the stomach of a little hummingbird. That's all I can eat. I'm not a big eater. And so really, usually, going to somebody's house causes me a lot of stress because they'll be like, oh, here, have this beautiful salad that we made and prepared from our garden. It's like, I never eat salad, and then I do my best, and then I feel kind of sick, so I never eat that. Or like, here, you have all this food, and I feel terrible, and they think I hate them, and I don't hate them, I love them, I'm just an awkward human being. But Ed, even though he had bought all this food and everything, was very gracious. Never once harassed me for my lack of appetite,
2: I felt, it was great. I felt right at home. So thank you. I, let me ask you this: Are there people who do harass you if you don't eat their food? Like
1: no, no, no. They have f- you have you met Filipinos? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, but I try not to father, make father, ra- eat, r- eat. racial generalizations. You know, father,
1: eat, eat, and then they then they'll say, "Oh, you're getting fat, father." I'm like, "Yes, because you keep on feeding me food."
0: Yeah. <laughs> normally, <laughs> normally the, the Anglo's just do, say weird passive aggressive stuff to you, like, yeah. "Oh, are you not are you not feeling well? Oh, did I do something wrong?" And I was like, "No, I'm, I'm really sorry. I just, I, my stomach is a fool. I you really are
3: going against your own brand here, I because know. for a man who runs a podcast about fast food, mm-hmm. I I feel like the the expectation, the cultural in the cultural zeitgeist. Yes, Father Anthony is is a guy who thinks of his stomach.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't know if our listeners know about this, Father Harrison, but I do another podcast on the side, which is my pride and joy. The Spicy Nugs podcast, where two priests and the dad are serving up the hottest takes and the frostiest shakes, reviewing Wendy's items once a month, and uh, so we talk about fast food. But I've mentioned, I've mentioned my my inability to eat a lot of fast food. For example, in that episode, the great Father Dan, last name redacted, said he could probably eat forty chicken nuggets if he if he needed to. Plus,
2: yeah, two twenty uh, pieces. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's like second breakfast.
0: Right, so I'm like, I'm not that guy. Yeah. And our other, um, uh, Jake, said he could easily eat 100, and I had to be there. Oh, my gosh. You know, feeling the the death of my own masculinity as I spoke, saying, like, like if I was really hungry, maybe 20.
1: So, speaking of Wendy's, can I bring up a, a gripe I have with Wendy's?
0: If you dare.
1: Oh, I, ha- I have a gripe. I was driving down to Victoria last week to do some vocations work, to do a couple meetings, and I thought, hey – I don't have a Wendy's nearby because it's like at least an hour away. So I stopped at one of the ones on the way down to Victoria. And I said, I'll have 10 spicy nugs, please. <laughs> good. And, good so far. And you guess what? You ordered
2: that so Canadian.
1: <laughs> guess what? They didn't have any.
0: They didn't have any. They're supposed to have them everywhere.
1: I don't know if like some, I don't, I, I don't know what it's like in the rest of Canada. But at least that one Wendy's, they didn't have any.
3: I'm sorry, Father. It wasn't on the menu or anything. So they didn't even know of it.
1: They pro- they said that they've had people come in asking for them, and they didn't have them. And I'm just like, this is – and then so I, I got a spicy chicken sandwich. And I got to be honest. like I actually really like the Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich. That one, that day, just wasn't very good. And it might have been the the bitterness of my tears as I was eating it, not eating spicy nugs. Yeah,
2: that'll ruin the flavor, bitter tears. Mm-hmm. Ladies and yeah. gentlemen,
3: socialism in Canada.
2: Yeah, there yeah. you go. hmm Yeah. Now, Father Harrison, let me ask you this. Can you get the the new and extremely controversial Popeye's chicken sandwich in Canada?
1: Uh, If I'm near Popeye's, we have some Popeye's, but I'm not on Vancouver Island. So I would have to go to like Vancouver or something like that for that.
2: Yeah. Every time you tell me what you don't have on Vancouver Island, I feel like we're in that, um, what's that Hallmark Channel show about Canada where the girl is, the lady is a teacher and, uh, uh, out in Western Canada. Dr. She, Quinn Medicine movie. No, it's like that, but it's about Canada. She comes from a rich family and uh, she falls in love with the cop who's a mountie. See, Father Harrison doesn't watch TV. He only uh, reads Reddit. That's how he TV, spends all yeah. his time. Exactly. Yeah. You so oh <laughs> okay. So I know about this show because I have a wife, and I forget that <laughs> I'm gonna come into clerics. And Ed's I wife, have a wife. you have a wife, but she she makes you watch slightly different that kind of show than my wife does. Uh
3: yeah, my wife. So far as she permits television at all, it's basically constant episodes of The West Wing on loop or occasionally the original BBC adaptations of Jane Austen novels.
2: Yeah. So those are fine. But that Canada show where the teacher marries the cop, I don't know the name of it. You should check it out. I bet our lady listeners know about it. I'm certain of it. You know who probably wouldn't have watched a lot
0: of TV, probably could have eaten a lot of chicken nuggets? Thomas Who? Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas. It's time for the suma. Delete Logica. Wow.
3: How
0: about that transition? That was beautiful. We're That's really good for us.
3: I don't know you guys you claim you listen to our podcast and yeah. I, I I wouldn't hold it against you if you didn't really and you were just saying that to be sweet. I mm-hmm. would. I mean, these are our friends. This one is my of the, best friend. One of the, I
2: actually, I actually do listen. Yes.
3: Well, one of the problems, then, you know, that we have on our on editor's desk is I'm constantly trying to bring some semblance of professionalism to our transitions, <laughs> yes. and JD jumps up and down on them, and it drives me nuts. So oh. thank you, Father Anthony, for getting that under the radar. Yeah. Oh, it's pretty wow.
2: Good. I see. I and I, I have never noticed you transitioning from a point that you're belaboring into a different point that you wish to belabor. I've never seen that happen. <laughs> The Summa
0: Theologica was Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology. The Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. Now, Father Harrison, we have a little bit of a technical difficulty with this because you are talking to us via my phone, which has my Twitter account on it. So I'm going to let you,
2: or actually, how
0: about this? One of you guys can pick tweets that I will
2: comment on. I'm woefully unprepared for this. Are you ready yet?
3: I have a tweet. Okay, go for it. Um, So this is... I mean, I know you guys tend to do more uh, churchy related stuff when you're doing tweets, but we were looking at the news this week. And the thing that caught my eye is obviously we've had another round of shootings, Mm -hmm. which is extremely depressing. Um, But I saw an interesting tweet uh, from an account that I don't often look at, but I was impressed with. And this is from Father Jeremy Zippel, SJ, who in response to the latest round said, we ought to be talking about sacrifice for the common good there's nothing inherently wrong about owning an ar-15 for sport but if there's anything jesus taught us it's that sometimes we must sacrifice our own pleasures for the sake of others so you've jumped right into one of the spiciest tweets that we could possibly read <laughs> i i know no other way <laughs> it's true he goes right for the spice. I'm 100 hot sauce
0: yeah oh my goodness um i don't want i don't want to start father harrison do you want to start
1: Kind of missed half of what he said.
0: So, basically, sacrificing the common good is a Catholic thing. And even though owning something like an AR-15 is not inherently wrong, sometimes you have to sacrifice. Gotcha.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, if things are... are con- oh, man, you guys are bringing a Canadian to gun talk. Uh, um, it's...
0: You, you guys brought, don't have guns. You just like throw. We do have guns. It's just people? you know we don't do? go around like using you've got, a like a, shootings. the Mounties have like a whole like uh, utility belt of just live beavers. Well, rather than ones actually, it's actually moose
1: antlers oh. that they throw at people.
2: See, I get confused. You brought an antler to a gunfight, son.
0: <laughs> <laughs> have you seen moose antlers? They might beat you up. <laughs> no, I'd be ter- if someone came at me with a moose antler, I would legit be terrified. Uh, no, yeah. I'm
3: sorry, I'm jumping in here. There is no way a moose is intimidating. You you are talking about basically a cow on spindly no, legs with a wrong. Oh, well, you have not seen a wrong. A moose is really scary. And it. did you know that I could kill moose a moose with is... a rolled up newspaper? You guys have <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you <city> can't. Can. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't. A That's American uh,
2: ignorance. A moose right can roll your car over with its horn things. And did you know that maybe your car, man? Both the women and the men mooses have have the horn things antlers.
3: Did you know that? You you want me to take your your word as law on moose like lore and you're calling them the moose horn things? I I, I live in Colorado which has moose's
2: in it you can't and you I've since I've been to Maine which is a big time moose place and uh you're from England which has something called the stag and I think it's mythical and white and the queen hunts it. That's everything that you have is one mythical white queen hunting animal. Wait, the queen hunting? <laughs> no, hunt hunt queen hunted. Queen hunted. Yes. Uh Okay. Okay.
1: Well, after all that moose talk, I I just think, I think, um, I I, I think I would agree with the Jesuit there that sometimes you
3: have to sacrifice (laughs) unless (laughs) unless it's a (laughs) cleric (laughs) first. All right. Can I go on this one? Yeah, please. please. All right. So what I liked about this is um, you, every time we have one of these really, really depressing and traumatic experiences of mass shootings, everyone jumps up and says, we need to talk about gun control Mm -hmm. now. Nobody wants it to be more shootings. Everyone wants to be fewer shootings. People tend to have hot takes on gun control one way or another, and basically say one of two things: either they say we need to try anything, regardless of whether or not we know it's going to work. Other people say we should only try things that are going to work, and there's a lot of debate over whether these proposals for gun control. Uh, could have an effect on these sorts of events. But what I really liked about this tweet was he said, look, we're not saying people who own guns are doing something wrong. Because a lot of times that's what this argument is reduced to, is people saying, well, if you own an AR-15, for example, you must somehow have either malintent or some sort of bad – you must be maladjusted somehow. You're the kind of person we don't want to associate with. Exactly. And at the same time, there's a lot of pushback to any kind of gun control saying, it's my right. You can't touch my rights. And what I liked about this is it really cuts through a political conversation with the Catholic perspective, which is to say that we have, a, at least in the United States, a very, very finely developed understanding of individual rights and this overlays it with what is a more important Catholic principle which is the common good because in the end exactly Everything in the Catholic perspective is not about the individual It's about the church the group the body of Christ that God doesn't save us as individuals He calls us to save us as a people as a church. Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree but the problem with that is the um, most a lot of American Catholics first religious passion is for politics and not for the Catholic faith so it's very difficult for them to uh, subvert their political ideas for, for Catholic ideas. Now, I will say, like, uh, the gun owners that I know are some of the best people I know who understand how these tools work and how they shouldn't work, are uh, very safe about those things. So I definitely agree that, like, yeah, a lot of times, like, gun owners aren't bad. I have a liver action rifle. I go shooting because it's fun. And so I, I have nothing against guns personally. Uh, and I think your commentary was excellent on that. Uh, the one thing that's more difficult to talk about and more difficult to pin down is this deep spiritual sickness that seems to be in our country. And that's not something you can fix with just a few laws. Now, that's and not saying that you shouldn't do the things that you can do legislatively, but I think there's also a deeper issue underneath that, which you can't resolve on Twitter or even be a podcast. But there's something else really weird going on in our country. But I think
2: that's, I think. That's one of the things that is very nice about Father Jeremy's tweet which is that um, the common good, uh, concerning ourselves with the common good is a kind of application of our of our vocation to, to charity, right? I mean um, our, our democratic experiment is really a species of friendship and um, and the, the spiritual sickness that you point out I think goes part and parcel with the sort of politicization of our faith that is constantly sort of looking at all things through um, a political lens and a lens that, um, when so focused on my rights, ultimately becomes so focused on myself. Mm-hmm. But um, far better. And I think this is, you know, when St. Paul talks about being transformed by the renewal of our mind. I think for Americans, for those of us who are conditioned by by democracy, uh, a big part of that is going from um, my sort of seeing myself as an individual, being transformed from seeing myself as an individual and um, a- and being concerned with my rights and my freedoms. Um, starting to see myself um, as a part of something bigger. And that's easier in my family. We were talking before, uh, not you, Father Harrison, because you were in Canada, but we were talking before about how um, I, I, I like to smoke cigarettes, but I don't smoke cigarettes because my wife doesn't like them, right? Well, that's a kind of, that's, it's, not, it's not a super generous self-sacrifice, but it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a kind of love that sees myself and my desires sort of um, ordered to the, the goods of my family and the needs of my family. And that's how we have to think about these political questions, too, because otherwise we'll just get so bogged down by everybody asserting their rights at one another.
0: Can I add just one more pastoral point and then we can uh, find another tweet? I think this is something that I I have to practice myself as well. When you're watching the news or you're hearing someone comment about some sort of hot button issue and you feel your passions like really flaring up, like you're really angry or really sad or feeling very emotional about any kind of topic that you see in the news, I think we need to do a better job of self-reflection. Where is that coming from? why what are my priorities and this is for anything it's not to be about gun control that's one of the big ones because i think there's a lot of lack of self-reflection about what's going on in my own heart when it comes to these issues because it's much easier to fire off tweets and hot takes than to deal with whatever's yeah. going on inside you so if you're listening to this conversation if you still are and you're freaking out that's something to examine mm-hmm. amen father harrison yeah, well i think uh, jd is still looking for tweets because he came oh, i got one fully really unprepared okay go uh, i got one Uh, from uh,
1: Bishop J. Strickland at Bishop of Tyler. I went to confession today. Probably an odd thing to say on Twitter. Nonetheless, it is a beautiful sacrament. I admit, judge not, lest ye be judged. Hit me hard. Confession is very humbling, but also very healing in the Lord's mercy. If you haven't confessed lately, just do it. And so I chose this just because, A, I thought, how beautiful is it that a bishop is out there saying this? But also... um, I think it's something that people almost like get uh, confused about with sometimes. Like, yeah, guess what? Clerics go to confession too. We 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 sin, and we need God's grace there too. And what a beautiful thing to see a bishop witness that I've gone, and I and I am as someone just as much in need as God's mercy. And it, it's amazing. Like I find like confessions like that that equal playing field where everyone is under the same judgment, and uh, and everyone is equal in the reception of mercy. And what a beautiful thing that kind of it's kind of like the equalizing factor of the church in some ways.
0: Yeah, I I have really grown to appreciate hearing the words of absolution after I've said them so many times, Yeah, and yeah. it goes vice versa too, like remembering, because I go to the same uh, confessor like once a month, and even though the guy knows me, even though my sins are not surprising to him, like I still feel that little bit of anxiety and that little bit of fear and a little bit of trepidation, because no one likes talking about their own sins, because their own sins are gross and dumb, all of our sins are dumb, but... Hearing those words of mercy helps me to be a more merciful person in the confessional.
3: Yeah. I, I'll I'll jump in. Yeah, um, I love going to confession. I, I so at one point I was I was asked by a priest that I that I go to confession to, every week, sometimes more than once a week, um, and he he sort of had the obligatory talk that priests have with people who go to confession. Often and increasingly often to about, check out if you have the scruples. Are you being scrupy? Yeah. And the truth is no. Uh, and in fact, I you know in sort of conversation with my spiritual director, he had recommended first weekly confession and if necessary twice weekly. Um, not so much because uh, I it's good for me to constantly be absolved of my sins, although that's certainly true. Um, but the exercise of the examination of conscience. Um, really is uh, a discipline I need every day, especially when, you know, as JD and I do, we spend so much of our time working um, in and around the church and on on issues and stories that, you know, can be quite – they can provoke one to anger, righteous or otherwise, and certainly inspire me to judge all of the time. Um, and a lot of what we try and do, a lot of what we have to do is – keep not just our emotions in check, but also suspend our own judgment that you know, mm-hmm. the difference between what we try and do at CNA versus you know, a commentary magazine or something like that is we're not here to give our opinions, we're not here to give our take on the news. We're here to just give a dispassionate presentation of the facts or an analysis of them. Um, and I, I find that almost impossible if I'm consumed with my own judgments about the people I'm writing about. Whereas right. if I'm constantly having to examine my own conscience and constantly having put in front of myself that as a Christian, I am called to consider the other superior to myself, even the people that I'm writing about who have done perhaps terrible things, that this is the thing that really um, helps me in my job. It helps me in my day to day.
2: There are two practices that are extremely helpful for me and and for my family on a daily basis in our prayer life. One is an examination of conscience and um, going to confession on a regular basis weekly or at least every two weeks um, you know is the, is the sort of bringing to fruition of examining our conscience and 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 even when we haven't committed a mortal sin just bringing our venial sins to the Lord and asking for the grace that for, first of all asking to be reconciled to God completely and then asking for the grace that helps us to overcome our sins um, I, I think the the, the um, regular confession for a family has been transformative for our family and I really like being able to sort of give my kids the model that, it's perfectly normal that mom goes to confession. It's perfectly normal that dad goes to confession. Sometimes our kids are little, so I don't even know that they get it. But sometimes, you know, even if we're short with them or if we're bickering between ourselves, we tell them that we're sorry to them and we want to confess that to God. And, and that's been really helpful for us, especially to just, um, uh, to, I think, to grow in, in humility in our, in our family and, and, and in approaching kind of the mystery of our marriage. The, the yeah. other thing that's been a complement to that Devotionally, a big part of our prayer life is the rosary, but the other thing that's sort of been a complement to the examination of conscience is um, St. Ignatius' examine of consciousness, oh, yeah. which is a question not just about what are my sins today, but um, a reflection on my day that allows me to ask, where has God moved in my day? Um, because I need to be able to see both my own sinfulness and the ways in which God's providential hand has moved through the day. Um, Ed, you were talking about in our job, kind of that the disposition towards anger and things like that. For me working in the church, and I don't know if you guys as as priests experienced this, but I have a tendency to secularize the sacred and to sort of just see what we do as a sort of a business because it's the business that we're in. Absolutely. Um, So examining on a daily basis, asking myself and asking God to show me every day how he was moving through my life, where his presence was, what he was prompting me to, um, helps me to be able to hear, um, to see the providential plan of the Father, um, to see the mercy of Christ, and to hear the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, you know, all the more strongly.
0: I have a confession. Yo. Just a little while ago, I sassed you about being woefully unprepared. And I want to <laughs> say I want to say two things. One, I'm in sass mode because I'm unclerically speaking. I get a little bit, but, but really, it's not your fault at all. Really, and I apologize, it's really producer Nick's
2: fault because he should have given you all the notes. Did he not send you any notes? He didn't. I would just like to say that at CNA editor's desk, our producers, Kate Vike and John McKeown, are superlative. Mm-hmm. So as they we, also
3: are real people, whereas I have it on good authority that the so called producer Nick is just Father Anthony doing a voice occasionally in a, a, a Sock Puppet Twitter account. Right, yeah. exactly.
2: Kate, <laughs> Jonah, thank you for being real. He
3: just photoshops his face with getting his Amish beard off, you know?
2: You so, know that if producer Nick has a girlfriend now.
1: He does. He's having one. He does, which is making things very awkward for Father Anthony. If he's producer Nick. Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait <laughs> you're, you're
2: also <laughs> assuming the girlfriend is real and not a Sock Puppet account. No, no, I mean, no, have, no you the you girlfriend seems lovely. The girlfriend seems lovely. Yeah, but have you ever met them? I, f- I follow her now. You no, know, in real life. Have you ever girlfriend? met them? No. I
3: have haven't. you ever seen Father Anthony and producer Nick in the same place at the same time? I actually have.
2: Oh, yeah. But even you right now are just a disembodied voice all the way from Canada, which I'm not sure is a real place. I've been there, but maybe it was some sort no, of fantastic. Canada is real. It's the
3: suburb of Detroit.
2: <laughs> because I feel like someone else has
0: questioned Nick's existence on Twitter before, and he tried desperately to prove it to no avail. So this is like a real scandal. Is producer Nick real? He's not here. I have no idea how to prove this to the internet. It's like
1: proving, you um, know, it's like proving a spherical earth, you know, or a spherical, yeah, a spherical earth, or, you know, things past the firmament. I,
3: and I just want to point out, I'm not saying that producer Nick is fake. We're okay. journalists. We're just asking questions.
2: Right, exactly. I, I mean, obviously, there, somewhere out there is an unproduced producer, but it's not producer Nick.
0: Father Harrison, do you have any of my tweets that I picked for Sumer Tweet Logica? I've I got a tweet of yours. I
1: have a bunch. If, if, if you guys got one, go ahead. I, get, I got more.
2: I, I Okay, so this is a tweet from Father Anthony Sharapa, who's a dude that I follow. Uh, Hey-o.
0: We'll allow it. It's, this is normally against the rules, but since you're bringing it up, we'll allow it. What did I tweet? <sighs> well, I want you to
2: talk about this. Perhaps all heresies are simply an attempt to remove mystery.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was reading um, Matthias Joseph Shabin's, uh book on the mysteries, which makes me sound very smart. Um, and I was thinking, because this has been my theory, uh, my less nuanced theory, was that um, all heresies are lazy. So basically, what I'm trying to say in that is that it seems that most heresies are a refusal to acknowledge a deeper mystery of God. So, for example, the fact that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man is a divine mystery that you can continue to plumb the depths of that. Also, it needs to be revealed by divine faith. And it's it's tough to get into your brain because you can't, you can't encapsulate into your brain. You know what's easier than Jesus is fully God and fully man? Just pick one or pick a weird amalgamation of the two. And I think you can do that for a lot of different heresies. Um, for heresies against the church, you're, not, you're refusing to acknowledge the mystery of the church. So I think a refusal to be humble before God's mysteries tends to lead to most heresies what do you think father harrison
1: oh i think it's a beautiful tweet and i think it's dead on right because mystery is about embracing paradox right so um and paradox is not two opposing things but it's to it's the fullness of truth stretched to its limit um so uh when you're trying to every heresy is, is trying to say I want to be able to rashly comprehend God and that is the most hubris thing one can say um, it, it, it's because if God is God he cannot be comprehended. faith has to have an element of mystery to it otherwise it's not faith and otherwise and that otherwise God's not God uh, so mystery is huge and, and yeah so every heresy will want to destroy mystery
3: did that work do you buy that, yeah, I can dig it. Cool, you guys are a lot smarter than me.
0: Uh, I no, think, I think we have different areas of expertise, as to be fair. Sometimes I listen to you guys like rattle off cannons and stuff, and I'm like, Oh, I don't know anything.
2: This is, was- this is I think, I've told this story on uh CNA editor's desk before, but I, I keep saying the name like sort of like I want to get it in people's mind, but <laughs> yeah. I, I think I've told this story on editor's desk before. But uh, the dean of Canon Law School when I was there, uh, Monsignor Bryan firm, really great guy, brilliant canonist. Brilliant in many, many ways. But on the first day, sort of like freshman orientation for canon law school, he uh, he sat down our class and he said, uh, "Now listen, if any of you were as smart as you think you are, you would be theo- in theology right now instead of in canon law." Whoa.
1: So oh. he made clear to
2: us where we belong. So what
1: you're saying, because I'm doing a doctorate in theology, is that I'm smarter than you guys?
2: No, no, I'm saying you're in a well, yeah. I think for so what you're, you're saying.
1: Got me. I think that's what you're saying. Actually, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Said contra.
3: Um, <laughs> the, I We had a saying uh, that wasn't directly attributable to the dean of the same canon law school when I was there. Different dean, same law school. Great man, may he rest in peace. Also great man, may he rest in peace. Um, but one of our other professors did observe that no canon lawyer ever needed a theologian. But sooner or later, every theologian has to call a canon Amen. lawyer. <laughs> Amen.
0: Amen. <So>, now... <laughs> Uh, real quick. So um, I took my canon law classes at the end of my time in seminary. And I was in seminary for eight years. So by those last two semesters, I was a little bit checked out. But I remember hearing at the beginning of our first class, <laughs> if you are to remember one thing from this class, just call the canon lawyers yep. before you mm-hmm. make a decision. Yes. And so I was like, okay. I wrote that down in my notebook, and I fell asleep for the rest of the semester. And then when I got – we had we had this um, – little program once you get ordained uh, we we lovingly call it baby priest school and the first thing that we met with our canon lawyers said just just call us before you
2: do anything I was like I got it I've got the one rule I don't need to know anything else about canon law and fathers before you do anything we usually get the call well after you've done something yes yeah that's yes, true sure. before you do anything see I, what's comforting
0: is I've heard so many horror stories about marriage paperwork or the lack thereof yeah. and different things that happen that like
2: None of my tiny screw-ups have ever come close to that. Cool. So it's like a very low bar. If Jump you call it, and yeah. say like, well, I didn't have I didn't have the delegation, I didn't have the faculty, but Ecclesia suplet, we will Ecclesia oh. suplex you and then hang up. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: Uh-huh. I yeah. have a priest that um, he's a very very good friend of mine. Uh, he's over for dinner if not every week, at least every two, once every two weeks. Um, and, and he likes to tell me about the marriages that he's performing in the parish and imply that there's, there's possibly grounds for nullity or invalidity that he hasn't fully explored. Mm. And then he sings Omnia Parada to the tune of Akuna Matata. <laughs> and I, I've nearly done violence to him on more than one occasion. Can you explain that Omnia Parada thing? Omnia Parada is a provision in canon law that allows the priest in very, very carefully defined circumstances to go ahead with a wedding when an impediment that is not one of the sort of big— A paperwork impediment, Yeah, a paperwork impediment um, to carry on um, with the wedding on the grounds that everything has already been prepared, and the law itself sort of gives the priest the ability to dispense with the impediment. But again, I stress this is very very narrowly defined and nowhere near as expansive as a lot of priests find out uh, after the fact. The the other thing that priests say is they do something, they do some—
2: Silly thing, and then they say, "Well, Salus animarum, Suprema Lex S. The the salvation of souls is the supreme law of the church, as a sort of a justification." But fathers, that means follow the law, and you will serve <laughs> the salvation of souls.
3: <laughs> so Ed just about lost his yeah, mind he really when he did. said that. You really touched some nerves. I have I have like a canned rant on the on the misapplication of the of oh, the maxim of animarum,
2: woefully Lex. misunderstood. Yeah. but Which, ed,
1: now speaking of canon law. Canon Law 536 speaks about the necessity or non-necessity of having a parish, of a pastoral council. Well, why don't we go into that with pastoral council?
2: Hey-oh, that was a transition. That was a
0: really quick one. But I want to make another comment because we do this sometimes. Okay. So transition because it's too good to miss. But I think something actually happens, this is with parish priests, is that so often, uh, especially when parish priests are like the only priests in their parish, there's not a lot of contact with other parishes or the diocese as a whole, I think it can get, you can get easily into a mindset where kind of everything I say goes already and I'm the one who's running this thing. So I think that
2: kind of can leak into these more technical things. Totally. I think I totally empathize. I mean, we're kind of going, you know, being, we're rassing because it's, because it's this podcast, clerically speaking. But Mm -hmm. uh, no, I have a lot of empathy for priests who have to remember the minutia of all these little things when it's not their main sort of, their main concern genuinely is um, you know, the Salvation of Souls and Pastoral Care. And these things are relevant to that. But, um, of course, it can be tricky to remember that. So if you've already done the thing that you shouldn't have done, call us and we'll try and fix it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So uh, Pastoral Council is the best bumper we have. I don't know if you guys have heard it. I love it. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I love <laughs> it. Sweet. <laughs> okay. So what we're going to talk about on Pastoral Council is because this is a thing. You tweeted out a spicy tweet, J.D. Did I? A few weeks ago about video games and violence. Oh, yeah, yeah. So oh right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, you there's this game, I think, I forget what it's called. I know, uh, was it Hotshot or yeah, something? Yeah, it's somewhat immaterial to the it's, point. It's yeah, a first-person yeah, first yeah. shooter, first shooter, shooter game. and In this first-person shooter game, as in most first-person shooter games, if you shoot the the, the human figure, they kind of like blow up or something like that. And you had a whole like Their blow head blows up. Head in blows this up. game, if I watched the If you shoot them in the head, If you shoot them in the head, their head blows up, obviously. Yes, that's yeah. physics, yeah. and you had a problem yes. with despair. Okay, no. Uh, so... We were talking about this a little bit on on our on our DM on Twitter. But I was like, no, 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 we got to save this for the podcast. That's the
2: podcast host DM. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. The best podcast host DM. Right. right? Um, and so like, let's actually talk about this. As far as violence in video games, and I think a big point that you brought up was that video game manufacturers and programmers seem to be adding in incentive for more violence. So you get the extra dopamine hit for the extra violence that you do, and this can. Contribute to a culture of death is that a fair yeah, summary? Yeah, or go I just ahead. want to
2: say I, I brought this up and a lot of people sort of said well there's no um, statistically proven uh, empirically proven sort of direct correlation between first-person shooters and mass shootings and there's data that says that that there that there, you know data data says a lot of things about this and I want to concede that um, There's no data that says that if you play a first-person shooter You will then commit a mass shooting because that would be silly and it's also not my point. Um, the point that I wanted to make then and the point that I was making to you guys and the point that I want to make now is just that it seems to me that um, it, it is evidently clear that f- we, we live in a society which does not value life. We live in a society which, you know, um, John Paul II talks about being the tyranny of the strong against the weak, and he calls that the culture of death. And um, a society in which we're coarsened um, against understanding and responding to the dignity of one another understanding and responding to one another in in love. And it seems to me that if we condition our minds with um, interactive images of violence, one way or another that will manifest itself both in our own personalities and in our culture. And so, um, yeah, it's not a question of like we should ban all video games any more than our conversation about AF-15s should be fundamentally focused on rights. But I do think we have to ask ourselves if we have concerns about watching pornography and what that does to both our hearts and to our culture... Um, why sh- shouldn't, why don't we allow ourselves to have those same concerns about interact, like sort of interactive violence, simulated violence. Right.
1: So can I, can I, can I, uh, jump in? Yes, please. Uh, I want to go a little Rene Girard with that because I think, I think, because Jamie's of course you do yes, Harrison, you do. father Harrison. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I just, I like Rene Girard. He's got a point here, right? This mimetic nature of man, right? That man is by nature imitates. That's what mimesis means that, we are imitators by nature right this is what children do they imitate their parents etc and it's actually built into the human nature right and and so when we are when you look at for example things like pornography there i think there is strong correlations to make between uh, consumption and imitation and so what we consume we tend to even not intentionally find different ways to imitate it in our lives now some of us might be more um, aware of ourselves than others when we're playing when we're playing when we're playing video games or consuming different forms of media, but we we we, can, we tend to ignore this imitative factor of what it means to be human, and so I think that always has to kind of be taken into account. While not everyone uh, does imitate it completely, it forms us, right? What you consume forms you, right? Marshall McLuhan um, is uh, one of the great theorists of communications. A Canadian, by the way. And, and this is his was one of his points, right, that what you can cons- the media is the message. And so what you consume, the, the, the form even can form us and how we act. And so I think the discussion there, there's an intuition that I think it's exaggerated by people like, oh, violence begets real violence. And, and so therefore it's all like that. And I think that there's an exaggeration because obviously most people who are playing violent video games aren't going out with mass shootings, et cetera. But there is something to be said about what we consume forms how we act and our, and, and, um, yeah, forms how we act out in the world.
0: So there's a problem with, uh, both of the things that you guys just said, because it sounded really intelligent and well thought out and accurate. But, uh, the problem with this, and I'm just going to destroy both of your arguments right now. So just get ready for it. Neither of you are gamers, are you? <laughs> Nor have we committed mass acts of violence.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've pl- I've played video games. I just find them boring.
0: Don't even you played I, video games before? But one, you're not very good at them. Two, Paul Harrison, you're not a gamer, right?
1: I used to be. See, I don't believe you. What games did you play? Oh, I played. I, I worked at a freaking video arcade for three years.
3: Did you play Canadian football games? Oh my gosh, no, Canadian the CFL. Ball? The CFL C- C- sucks. CNFL, uh, no.
1: I played. I I played all the fighting games at the arcade. I played first-person shooters when I was a teenager. I was playing GoldenEye all the time. Uh, Only in
0: Canada they still have video arcades. Are that far behind? No, that's gone now.
1: That was way back. That was like fifteen years ago. Um, but I, I mean, I just, I've over time, I just find them increasingly boring and banal.
2: For what it's worth, I went to a Dave and Buster's like two weekends ago for a six-year-old's <laughs> birthday party. I, I have a six-year-old, so it wasn't weird that I went to a six-year-old's birthday party. Right. Just to be super clear about that. And I also played a lot of video games at that. So would that make me a gamer? I mean, I don't not want to tag all. myself with that label. No, but no, no, no,
0: no. So, okay. I so played a lot of them. I, I'm bringing this kind of, uh, this is the word that's tough for me.
2: Fush, fush.
3: Facetiousness?
2: Thank you. How is it that Sharapa is not hard for you and facetiousness? <laughs> I like to stumble over the your last name for 45 that, like, minutes. I want to say, but I have to concentrate
0: really hard, and then it ruins my whole point because I try to say it. But um, I was saying that jokingly because... You did an annoying thing for me when you were printing out this thing. You made me examine my own life, which is very <laughs> annoying. I'd rather just like go about my business thinking that I'm perfect and holy and fully formed. But I was like, oh, okay, there's some good points. And I think a lot of the comments you got are really fueled by the fact that a lot of people find a lot of entertainment, solace, and friendship in these video games. I think that's true. And that can color a lot of the the commentary and the reasoning behind it. Like, once again, if we're not examining our own hearts, it's much easier just to spout off opinions and defend yourself in that way. So, it really got me thinking because I played a lot of shooter games growing up. Um, and I did see, you know, when I was playing, for example, Halo in high school and it's the wee hours of the morning online, I think that did make me at least at very least an angrier person at the time. You were sleep deprived. I, well, I mean, there's that too. And, then, you know, uh, so I, I think that's kind of what's another issue that's within all this is that it's a big part of a lot of people's culture. And lives. For example, yeah. I still play um, with some good friends of mine a first-person shooter game. It's called Rainbow Six Siege, and it's basically a strategy game. It is a shooter, and there's different objectives, like either disarming a bomb or getting a, uh, a hostage or a captive. But it's very, very strategy-based. You can't just run around shooting, or else you'll make yourself look like a fool. And I played. Well, I played that just yesterday, and so I was thinking about like, what are my personal motivations in this? And for me, playing that game is one, it's the, the strategy and the reward of just winning and seeing if my strategies work or if they don't work. It's the communication and joking around with my friends when I play with them online, which is, I think, I think it's always good to play with people you know in video games. Uh, I've played a lot of like just single player games. I think too much of that isn't good. I've noticed that in my life. But I think that's something that's going on as well. Like, what are my motivations? What, I, what am I getting a reward from or not?
2: Yeah, I think, I think that's true. And I think it's I think a lot of us have grown up playing video games or being around video games and we accept them as a part of the culture. But at the same time, we have to ask ourselves about our motivations, which I think it's good that you're doing. I think we also have to ask ourselves just objectively, what am I seeing or participating in? Like when I press a button and um, a consequence of my pressing a button is that um, someone's head got blown up or a bullet went through someone's heart and then I got, you know, points for that. And the way the video game is programmed, like, I got a little dopamine rush in my brain because I killed someone. Just like, when I, when I say that out loud, do I feel good about it? And I hate to be <laughs> no, that when you guy. Put it about that video- way.
0: Right. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. So, like, I just... Um- and uh, uh, Ed, I'm glad you speak in a second. Uh, but it's <laughs> like, "Wow, talk about clericalism!" Right,
1: right, right. I will no,
2: allow you to speak when Listen, I'm gonna, go. let, you fin- Listen, I'm gonna just- let you finish, Father Anthony. But
3: <laughs> Father Anthony very sweetly noticed that I was here. Normally, JD, you know, whoa, two, 15 minutes. Whoa, then- You're, you're. I
2: just want to point out that Ed's mom thinks that he talks too much, and my mom thinks that I talk too much, and those are our two listeners. No,
3: that's not true. So- my mother doesn't think I talk too much. My mother just thinks you're more mature than me. <laughs>
0: So, for example, in this game, just because it's the most recent game i played, you do get more points if you do a headshot. Yeah. And for me, the reward is like, I did the right thing. I did the skill thing to do. Like, I, I aimed at the target and I won. I do think there are certain games where it's like, <laughs> for example, I mean, the one that's always uh, talked about when we talk about video game violence is Mortal Kombat. And the whole- Finish him! The whole hallmark of that game is you get rewarded by increasing amounts of violence. Uh, so I think there's definitely a line to draw somewhere, but I don't think there's anywhere in my brain that's like I'm happy I killed a virtual person.
2: No, I don't right? think that. There, no, I don't think that there. I I trust that there isn't. I, I trust that there isn't. I think you know, for me, and I realize I'm kind of a hardliner on this, but for me, it's another question of like, um, ought I, in deference to the common good, ask, is this is just is this objectively the kind of thing that I should be putting into? my own mind and heart, even if I don't think it's influencing me because I recognize that it might influence other people. And people will come to different conclusions about that. That's fine. I listened to a podcast today. On a, I was on a plane and I listened to a podcast about um, a virtual reality sex helmet. A porn, virtual reality porn. And uh, Oh, God. Yeah, and it, it's horrible, right? I mean, and this thing was like graphically, de- this podcast was describing, for, for per- it wasn't just like describing like, a... What kind of the podcast? podcast is this? Yeah, right. This podcast, thanks, fellas. This podcast was describing what the experience of this virtual, like what the encounter that this virtual reality porn thing depicted. And it was essentially like the experience of simulated sex. And it was talking about how that routes into the brain and the dopamine things. But the virtual reality pornography people learned how to do what they're doing from video game people and from the way that um, our neurology is impacted by our video games. And so by the way, to the social media people who who have learned how to make us addicted to our phones and, and, the four of us, I think, to varying degrees like know what it is to look at our phones too much and know that there's somebody out there is making money because we're the product. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I guess all I would say is I'm, I'm a bit of a hardliner about this and I, I have tons of planks in my own eye, I get that. I just think we have largely accepted that video games of shooting people are a form of recreation and it's and I think for most of us it's unexamined. And, and Father Anthony, you're explaining that it's examined for you and I trust your examination of conscience, et cetera, but I think all of us could benefit from just asking ourselves about the whys and whats of that.
3: Okay, but why is it helpful or um, appropriate to discuss it in a vacuum? Like, I, this is the thing that I always run up against. Like, I'm willing to take, I'm willing to take as read that video games are developed with particular. Um, Neurological responses involved that you know it's it's based on a a premise that people will respond to external stimuli in a particular way, and it will drive users basically. And and I get that, but the same is also true of every medium that we consume. The same is true of movies and television. The same is true of books. The same is true of paintings. So I've got no problem accepting everything you're saying about you know whether it's what Father Harris was saying about human beings are inherently mimetic that, you know, what you're saying about, um, there's, you know, there's a, there's a problem to an unexplored or un or unasked question about, you know, why are we calling this entertainment? What are we doing here? But I, I just don't feel like it's, it makes sense to look at this in a box. And I think that's the real reason why it goes unexamined is because there's no way of isolating a conversation about violence and video games without saying, okay, but you know, who doesn't go to a movie where, you know, I don't know what, a James, uh, James Bond film, or a Jason Bourne film, or an, a Marvel film, where it's basically the entire film was a way of dressing up in Technicolor some guy in spandex beating seven bells out of someone. Right. It's it's the same principle, same thing with you know so-called prestige television, which is really just sharp dialogue in between um, shots of people's butts and nipples. I don't know if we're allowed to say either butts or nipples on either, <laughs> either of these podcasts. But we, we've said it before on ours. I, I think maybe Kate bleeps I, it out. But we're st- I think we're still on Clerically Speaking. I don't know. Um, yeah.
0: It's it's fine. It's
3: fine. It's fine. But no, you, you see my point is that I, I'm yes. i cool with that. But, you know, yes, fine. You're rewriting the neural pathways and you're redefining what it is you, you take pleasure from subconsciously even if you're saying if I point at this pixel and pull the trigger and simulate blowing a person, an alien, or whatever's head up, that's bad. Okay. But – Frankly, the same logic applies to the little lady who's buying a bodice ripper in the discount aisle of the supermarket. I don't know what a bodice ripper is. It's a kind of pulp. Uh, oh, a romance season, novel. pulp a romance novel. novel. You know, they always have, uh, you know, weird covers of, you know, guys usually in frilly shirts, but not wearing them mostly. Yeah. And they're, you know, I'm given to understand that they tend to involve some pretty spicy. I'm picking up what you're throwing down. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, for those of you who are, who listen to Clarkly Speaking, but don't
2: listen to CNA Editor's Desk, Ed is kind of English. He grew up in England. And so he says things like bodice ripper that you can't be expected to know unless you're also from England. I didn't say, um, well,
1: by the way, I'm also British too. So actually half this podcast is British.
2: That's right. Yeah, that's true. But half this podcast is the U.S. freaking A, baby. So Thank you. Yeah. That's so refreshing to hear. I can't
0: even <laughs> tell you. I'm just like this lone soldier like carrying this American flag. Let's just remember that,
1: you know, St. Augustine of Canterbury evangelized the Britons and what great saints evangelized North America. Let's
3: just be honest here. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna pick you up on that one, Harrison. Uh, that's that's not excuse me, Father Harrison. Um, <gasps> that's that's not entirely true. St. Augustine evangelized much of England, but really it was the Irish monastics who who did a lot of the work and really got there before Augustine ever did. And in fact, the first real ecclesiastical ding-dong in British history. Uh, was when the Celtic monks came south and Augustine finally got far enough north that they met and they had different dates for celebrating Easter. And it was a whole big thing.
2: Ding dong, by the way, in American slang is somewhat different than whatever it is. that. I'd <laughs> <just> <laughs> oh, really? What yes. is it over here? It doesn't matter. You
3: know, that, uh, the point is... Oh, I'm fascinated the, uh, now. Wait, the, can I
2: Google that? No, no, no. The uh, <laughs> Not on your work computer, at least. The point <laughs> I'm is... I'm Googling uh, out what is a ding <laughs> dong. Uh, oh, my gosh. Does it matter I this is This is, is what, what happens, happens when
0: you bring <laughs> lay people on to a podcast that's usually run by... <laughs> We've Dirty it out. Dirty and now it out. All of a sudden. <laughs> wait, but uh, you were bringing something about movies, which I think is fascinating, about violence in movies. I, I remember seeing, it really struck me. So, watching a bad action film is part of the Sharapa family charism, at least among the guys. Like, I love a badly written action movie. I have very low standards. Father Harrison, this probably drives you crazy, but I'm totally happy with it. So, I remember watching, I think it was maybe the second Expendables, it's when they get the, all the old uh, 80s action guys and throw them into a movie. Have you seen this? Or do you know about this? Wait oh, like they're old yeah. Stallone? Yeah, Yes. Uh, I yeah. know about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So there's this one scene where they have to go to this, like, crashed plane or something. And there are a bunch of wolves around the plane. Now, these guys, in just previous scenes, have brutally murdered human beings in a thousand fascinating, entertaining ways. But when they approach these wolves, Sylvester Stallone fires a gun into the air. And I was like, my goodness, they never show shooting a dog on any kind of movie or TV thing oh no you can't do that
3: I'll tell you another thing that's completely messed up about television. And you can you can see this on, and certainly this is true in British prestige dramas, and I think it's true over here too, where they will have like incredible violence of, you know, literally someone shooting someone in the face, for example. But when that same character gets in the car, he'll always buckle his seatbelt. Because <laughs> you can't have someone driving around without a seatbelt. I mean, they can be leaning out of the window, firing a gun at people while well, they're doing it, but that's why, as long as they're wearing a seatbelt. Well, that's just reasonable. But I guess my point is not that I want to see a bunch
0: of puppies get murdered on TV. not. All, But I think it maybe goes to the point of like the so being being so desensitized to human death, but so sensitive around these animals that we've bred to look more human like and trained to act more human like and we call pets. I'm also very anti-pet. This
3: is I, I would totally buy a video game where instead of shooting people, you were shooting kittens. I would buy that.
2: <laughs> oh, man. We're going back oh, to the man.
3: kittens. Wow.
2: I just want to say, Ed, with regard to your point, not about the kittens, but about the broader... Yeah, I think we have to examine our consciences with regard to the use of media. You're right. And you, the reason, part of the reason why you said Prestige TV is because you know that um, I like to watch a lot of shows that... Are bad and I, I. No, 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 no. That was no, no, no. That was totally parts, not a
3: cheap shot no, no, at no, all. No, no, no. I swear.
2: But, but I mean, it's true. I do. I like. I, you know, there are a lot of television shows that I watch that I ought not watch, and and so that's why I say I have planks in my eye. I agree that I think we all need to examine our consciences with regard to to media, and probably you know probably honestly probably the 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 virtuous Christian use of of entertainment media looks radically different than the experience of of most of us. Not you Ed, because I think yeah. you're probably pretty good at that, but I think. All of us probably have some really. Wait a minute! I,
3: I, 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 hang on! I feel like I'm about to like someone's <laughs> going to do a deep dive on my Twitter account or something and come like Ed Conn is a massive hypocrite. I found on his Twitter account that he watched The Wire. And it's, oh, there's I, I don't think there's any sex in The Wire. No, there is because my wife objected to two of the scenes. But huh. um, it, yeah, my point is not that I I am some sort of great paragon of you know media consumption. I'm. I, I was just saying I find the whole conversation difficult when it's isolated to one particular kind of media. like no,
2: Yeah, yeah. Let me tell a really cute story about my wife before we move on because it's about TV and and... Yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what?
2: <laughs> i sure, that was not your wife. That was that cutesy stuff. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, we, my wife and I drove by a uh, a uh, a bad place, a really bad place, a strip club. We were driving by a strip club and my wife said, why would men, she said, that's just so horrible that men would be so lonely that they would go into a place to watch women dance around in bikinis. And I said, like, Kate, I don't think they have bikinis. And she said, yes, on every cop show, the women have bik-. And she was certain because she watches a lot of network television that, um, that what was happening there was a bikini event. And I had to, I had to as I have to do so many times, like uh, take away her beautiful innocence and tell her, but I didn't on that occasion because I don't know what happens in there either. But I suspect it's not the bikini thing
3: that you think. And, and they call them gentlemen's clubs over here, don't they? Yeah, they do.
2: Which in England is like a fancy eating.
3: Yeah, thing. I got a lot of weird emails by the time I was getting married because I said that the wedding reception was going to be held in my gentlemen's club. And- <laughs> oh, oh no! no. <laughs> so again, in
2: England, means like it's like a fancy. It's like a fancy. Father place.
0: Harrison, can you bring us back on track, please? So I was just gonna say, you know, I want to share
1: a little experience because. Um, Ever since I spent time with the MCs a few weeks ago, my my prayer life has shot through the roof, Um, which has been really awesome. And I'm not saying to brag. It's just been, I don't know. I want to pray more. And that's a good thing. And I found a correlation. The more I pray, the less I want to watch any media at all. I'm like, I maybe watch an hour a day at max now. Some days, nothing. And part of it's because you see the same thing over and over again. And, and and there's not a whole lot that I tend to just really want to dive into. But the other thing is it's around this correlation between um, noise and silence and that the only way we can perceive God is when we cultivate silence. Right. To really receive and, and open ourselves to him. So um, and I, I think that I worry sometimes that like we have all these these things that are meant to kind of impact the senses and to um, Take, take over our minds in the moment and everything. But it also impedes our ability to contemplation. And when it impedes our ability to contemplation, it impedes our ability to see God. If you're playing video games 15 hours a day, which a lot of people do, I, I find it hard to understand how you're going to be able to see God. Because you're not cultivating silence in your heart. Um, and I think we need to... So it's like, it's another side on this in the way that... Like the violence, the violence is a noise, <laughs> essentially.
0: Yeah, no, and I've noticed and- that in my own spiritual life, too. In moments of dryness, yeah. in prayer, one of the first things I turn to is media. And right. usually when I need to get back to prayer, one of the first things I need to do is some kind of media fast. So mm-hmm. I've noticed yeah. that in my own life, yeah.
2: Yeah, so the kind of like, yeah, I think we all, with the thing that we like, we're like, well, but this, I, I do it myself. I'm like, well, this is, what I like is different from video games or whatever. You know, um, but I think all of us can recognize that the more, the more we pray and the, and the more we spend time in human relationships, just the less desirous we are, I think, to be okay. distracted by those, by, by that noise. And that's a, that's a, you know, that's not something that happens overnight, but I think that does happen in time of Christian maturity. Yeah.
0: Speaking of time, what's our time? I was,
1: uh, we're, we're, we're there. We're there. It's been an hour. Yeah. So we're
0: not going to plug our podcast. We're not going to tell you to subscribe or give us money for our Patreon that will pay Nick a just wage.
1: Yeah, you know at patreoncom critically speaking or anything
0: like that. No, because we already have millions and millions of listeners and to do so at this point would just be now are we planning we're going to keep the conversation going? We're going to keep the conversation going, but tell them where they can find the second half of the so conversation. So this
2: is part 1 of this conversation. So if you like this, then um, open up your podcast app or what have you and uh and uh and 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 head to CNA editors desk. CNA Editor's Desk, CNA Editor's Desk, where we'll have part two of this conversation.
0: (laughs) And just like to genuinely plug, this is uh, your podcast. What we're about about to do is one of my favorite podcasts.
2: And I would just say that your podcast is one of my favorite podcasts.
0: We are just so good at podcasts. As
2: long as we got each other.
3: (laughs) Peace. I'm only here because I thought I, you know, I was never going to get invited on the sub beacon, so. I don't know what that is.
0: I'm at FR Harrison. I'm at Father Sharapa. At JD Flynn.
3: At Kenan Lawyered. See ya. Lawyered. So, <laughs> not Lawyer Ed. Peace. Not Ed. <laughs> Lawyer Ed, i <I've> <laughs> We'll see you over at Editor's Desk.